Welcome back. We have another episode of Allison and myself breaking it down. Today, we're getting into all sorts of stuff. I'm not really sure. Maybe emotions, maybe fear, maybe sadness. So stick with us. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willits. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Allison, thank you so much for coming back and doing this with me again. We haven't decided, are we like going to break off and do this as our own thing? Are we just going to like morph this into Meredith and Allison with Y's? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's to be determined, but I I think we got to keep it up. It's so good. I, I like you. You text those. Allison texted me right before we started recording. She's like, do you have any topics you want to talk about? I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> Like, I'm not sure. I constantly want you to validate me, Mayor. I just want you to say, yes, that, yep, that's good. (laughs) That's why I ask you. Yeah, no, it's like, I, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I think, you know, it's like, hey, you come with the questions and I'll see what I can drum up over here. But, you know, that is why I think this is really good is because, so often I'm either oblivious to it or too close to it. One of the two, either way, I'm not recognizing like, hey, people want to know this. <laughs> and yeah. so you should talk about it. Like some things, obviously, from my past podcasts are obvious. And I'm like, okay, this seems like something I want to talk about. But I think the really cool part about this series is that you're bringing forth topics that other people might want to know about. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's like the forest through the trees thing, right? And you are my beautiful unicorn of untapped knowledge. So it's a good match. (laughs) Weirdness. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Well, so today, I guess the thing, you know, some of the things I was thinking about, I just sense this super, super strong energy of sort of the breakdown before the breakthrough, which is something you talk about a lot really in the air right now, sort of the energetic forecast and, you know, talking about the breakdown, like nobody wants to have a breakdown, but everybody wants to have change in life. And everybody wants to, I shouldn't say everybody wants to have change. Everybody wants something new and better and upgraded, but we forget that we have to have a breakdown before we can have a breakthrough. So I would love to talk a little bit more about that and about how some of our emotions play into that. So when you're looking at that, what do you see? So such a great question and such a great topic because I think people really get frustrated with the breakdown because you're right. It doesn't feel good It doesn't feel good to watch your world fall apart or the way that you believe about things to be crushed. We we hate change as a rule in society. Even if the change is for the better, a lot of times we can't even see that because we're inside of the breakdown. Like so much of what is going on right now politically and globally, you know, it's very, very uncomfortable. It's unsettling, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to go forward onto a better way. So personally, when I, when I experience this, um, it can come up as feelings of depression, being lethargic, 
frustrated, you know, it really finds itself in the body and, and it's uncomfortable, you know, like I think I talked about this in the last series about the attachment disorder and how it's been, you know, shown psychologically that the breakdown is actually imperative to change. So when you're looking at, hey, this person is going on to be a better version of themselves or to make great strides in their relationship or their personal growth, what has to happen is that the old you has to fall away. And when we look at the collective, the old us has to fall away. We cannot continue on um, inside of the space of what is and also want better. You know, and this is where we get into, you know, uh, the debate, which, you know, so many people are like, hey, you know, like make America great again and all of those things. And even if you do believe that that there was a, a America great again, meaning that there was a better Mer- America of the past, either way, we're still here right now. So even if we want to, you know, incorporate some of our old traditions, if we want to have new traditions, if we want to have a new way so that there's not, you know, billionaires and lots of millionaires and then, you know, 99% of the public is broke um, and a very small middle class. If we want anything to go back to that, let's say, as a from a consumer point of view, we need to change what is now and to change what is now things need to fall apart, so to speak, fall away, um, make strides, even if it is to go back. You can't go back without breaking down where we're at today. And that holds true personally. And so is it uncomfortable? Yes, we tend to like being on a continuum. We like to be, I don't know, floating, if you will, in inside of what is. And a lot of times, what what we don't know is way scarier than what we do know, which is why a lot of people stay in abusive relationships or shitty jobs or uh, whatever it is, is because, hey, well, well, what if what's coming is worse? You know, so a lot of people will tolerate negativity or bad things because their fear of the unknown is greater than how bad it is right this second, you know? Where do you think that comes from, The fe- this because I think that's very core to the human experience is having a fear of the unknown. Like, is that something that we're taught? Are we born with that? Is that a survival skill that we've adapted from, you know, over time? It's just, I think when I think about the, like what really holds us back, I feel like that's huge to what holds us back as a, as a human race. Yeah. Is that fear of the unknown, that fear of change? Well, when I'm looking at it from a scientific perspective, objects going in a continued motion want to continue going in that motion and will continue going in that direction unless an equal and opposite force is placed upon it. So that is the same as for humans. So if a ball is rolling and down, a, you know, in a straight line, it will continue to go in that straight line unless some sort of force is placed upon it, be it gravity, meaning the, the table falls away and the ball falls to if a ball is, you know, heading down in a d- direction, if someone kicks it, or like I said, if the table falls away, then the ball will change direction. And I think that this is so, so that is energetic, right? That's an energetic law. 
And so we are energetic beings. So there's this desire to continue on in the path that we are on that I think is intrinsic to being human and intrinsic to being energetic. But also I believe that there is some sort of, you know, trauma response blended in there, right? So if I'm getting my ass kicked by my parents every single day, and I've gotten used to getting my ass kicked by my parents every single day, and then, you know, they're like, well, you're going to go live with your grandma, and you have no you have no basis for what grandma might be like but it's the well what if she's worse so i think there's a bit of trauma response of you know there's a lot of people that i talk to in coaching that they're very afraid of the other shoe that's going to drop so even though this shoe's bad waiting for the other shoe to drop as they say meaning for what's coming could be even worse so it's the belief that the unknown will primarily be worse than where you're at in the current moment versus better. Very few people are programmed to believe that the unknown is better than the known or what's coming is going to be better than what is, which I find, you know, really kind of fascinating. And I want to talk about this for one second because I did get this kind of clear channeled information yesterday or the day before. And so I really like to think a lot about the idea of heaven and the soul and earth and the human experience. And what I was basically shown was this concept, if you will, of that the earth is always pulling us in a direction of kind of feeding humanity, feeding the human experience. So addiction or things that are humanly pleasurable. Now I'm not talking about sex because sex can be both human and it can be spiritual. So that one's, you have to, it would have to be a, a, a case by case basis. But basically what I was shown was that our spirit is always trying to get us to understand our power. Our spirit is always pulling us in the direction of like, no, but you don't understand. Like you're so powerful. And like, I know that you think that drinking 10 gallons of tequila is going to be fun, but I promise you like meditating for an hour is like way better. Like having a drum circle or going for a walk with your friends or but like even talking about that, it's like, no, actually going to a rock concert and getting shit faced is way more fun. And there's this like really weird dynamic the way I, I was shown it. And it's like there's this heavenly kind of pull of our spirit, but yet our human, our physical human you know, carbon-based, 666 base, which 666 is the scientific number of carbon, fascinatingly enough. And so it's always pulling us in this opposite direction of, like I said, addiction or negativity, fighting. And so we are equally made up of both of these parts, you know, and there's something about the human experience. And like they say, you know, the devil is the prince of the earth. And when I when I look at that, when I think on these things, you could almost think of the movie Pinocchio, you know, when Pinocchio goes to the island, I think it was of misfit boys or something of that. Right. And they they turn into donkeys. 
And so they're playing pool and they're drinking alcohol and they're smoking cigars and then they turn into donkeys. Right. And then, you know, Pinocchio watches that happen is like, wait a minute, I don't want to turn into a donkey. And so he escapes the human, you know, fallings or whatever the word is, the, the human traps, right, of of drinking and smoking and gambling and and wasting away your life. And he's like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I want to be over here. I want to go see my dad. I want to be a real boy. And I think that that's actually a much more powerful um, imagery. And I think it's a actually a pretty fascinating and powerful message to the world that, yeah, these things can be fun, but you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, what's your end game? Like, where is this leading to, right? And so I just feel that there's something about the human experience wherein as a spiritual being having a human experience, we really do kind of have to fight against being human, being negative, being gossipy, arguing with people. There is a sense of rising above both mentally, physically, and spiritually to stay out of these things because it's easy to get sucked in. Like it sometimes feels good to get a little human, right? It, but in the big picture, they've shown that the more you drink alcohol, the more predisposed you are to depression, you know, physically it breaks down your body. There, it, It's just fascinating. If you sat there and made a list of all the human trappings and all the spiritual trappings and their their detriment to the body, the detriment to the mind, the detriment to psychological aspect of self. I think that it's maybe what I'm talking about is obvious. I don't know, but I see it as very much a clear cut separation between following your three-dimensional self, as we talked about last week, and following your five-dimensional self and the ramifications of both. And, and, and I believe that that negative part, if you sit inside, back to your comment, if you sit inside of your spiritual self, everything is always working out for the better. You will be led to believe down the path that, well, of course, the next thing that's coming to me is better. If you follow your three-dimensional self, which is this human existence, of course, the next thing is most likely going to be worse than what this is now. I was driving through an underserved neighborhood God, was it yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. And I was fascinated that as you drive through an underserved neighborhood with a lot of poverty, you see things like billboards for alcohol. You see corner stores, most likely without fresh produce and a church on every corner. And I find that fascinating because it, the way I see church is a, a very three-dimensional thing. Church is a three-dimensional thing. It's not really a spiritual thing. It makes you believe that you need to do things to have salvation. You need to do things. You need to pay for things. You need to tithe. Um, you need to show up. You need to donate. You need to, you know, whatever the thing is that you are not good enough. You're always coming up when you're looking at religion and the church. And it's it makes you believe that you are at all times a sinner worthy of hell. And so I, I just find it fascinating when you look at these underserved places, it's all very, you need to lean into a pastor or a priest or, or something. And, and 
to me, they all go hand in hand. To me, religion actually is feeding the three-dimensional. Religion does not feed the spiritual 5D self that says everything that you need, you have, and you don't need anyone to lean into, and you don't need to go to church. You just need to you know, love everyone as yourself, and that's it. That's the end of the story. And I just find it kind of fascinating that I believe that where we're at right now because we talked about this right before turning, you know, hitting record. I find it fascinating that I believe that where we're at right now is that we're being shown behind the curtain a lot of the lies that we've been told about religious leaders and political leaders. We're being shown behind the curtain that everything that we thought was good and what we thought was true isn't. And I, I believe in the next, I mean, I mean, it could be the next year or so, we're going to see more and more and more that's going to be revealed to us because of this breakdown that our society is going through, our whole world is going through right now. Mm-hmm. And so the more you sit inside of your human self, the more you're going to believe that things are getting worse. The more you sit inside your spiritual self, you understand that what we're going through right now is a catalyst to change opportunity and betterment of our world as a, as a human race. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that was just a lot. <laughs> that, was, that was just a lot, but it all ties back together. So when you're sitting inside of all of that and kind of taking that in as an individual, what do you think each of us can do? What can we lean into what can we do physically with our bodies emotionally? How can we change our perspective so that we can lean into that? Things are always happening for my greatest good when the world is falling, falling from around us and we feel a sense of insecurity, a sense of sadness, grief. You know, what are, and maybe we need to unpack that first before we go to the solution, sort of the feelings of grief and loss around change. Yeah. Uh, I think all of it is, is relevant. The funny thing is I have a lot of people that will reach out to me and say, you know, I think I might be psychic. I think I might be a medium. I think I might be getting channeled messages, but I'm afraid of it. And my response to them is always the same. I understand because once you see it, you can't unsee it. So for myself, my breakdown was pretty profound. My breakdown around um, my white supremacy my breakdown around the belief that my education was true and real. My belief that um, the history that I taught was taught was not lies. My belief that people that are at churches want the best for me and that is a good place to go. That's basically breaking down my entire ego. When you find out that everything that you've ever been taught is a lie, basically, and has been is based on human deceit to continue the society and the direction it's been going and that all of it's fake and that now you have to kind of figure out what is real. That That's pretty profound, you know? And so when I'm looking at where we're headed and how the, the veil is, is being lifted and how can we survive in this, my go-to is always faith. And that might sound weird unless you listen to me a lot, but faith is not the religious faith. Faith is is a little bit trickier, but it's always going to be 
I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, even if it's scary. I know I'm exactly where it's supposed to be, even if it's uncomfortable. I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, even if it doesn't feel like it. And this has actually served me profoundly well. And it's hard to have this conversation with people who have lost a child, who are going through chemotherapy, who are financially in a bad place. But I will tell you, by way of recognizing and owning that everything that has happened to me is for my greatest and highest good, no matter what it looks like, will keep you in a much more positive mindset, frequency, belief system, all of it than thinking that the world is out to get you and you're being punished for something, which is the very religious human thought processes like, hey, I did this really bad when I was a kid. I'm being punished for it now. Or um, I did something bad to somebody and now I'm being punished for it. It, it. It's a very much of a lack mentality. It's a very lack uh, way of living life. So for myself, I tend to look around and think that the world is always working out for my greatest and highest good. Well, what happens with that? Well, scientifically and psychologically, they have proven by way of almost like a brain algorithm that when you say the world is working out for me all the time, your brain will constantly look for ways throughout your day that your life is working out for you. So instead of me looking around and finding negativity and everything, I'm always looking around and my brain is finding the positive that is supporting my theory and my brain process that everything is always working out for me. So when I got cancer and I use these really aggressive, you know, examples because people are like, oh yeah, it's great to say that when, you know, you have a good life. Well, when I was going through cancer, I was not feeling like I was having a quote, good life. Right. So I'm using something that's very aggressive. And so how did I look at cancer and think everything is always working out for me when you do that and you're going through a difficult time, you're forced to then say to yourself, well, how is this working out for me? How is this a positive in my life? So let's say for example, Let's say, for example, you're in Ireland and you've been sitting at dinner for a whole five seconds and your daughter calls you and says, hey, I just wrecked the car <laughs> with with your kid in oh, it. That. Oh <laughs> and so you say to yourself, you know, you're going to have your human physical response, which is, holy crap, that sucks. I hate everybody. How much is it going to cost me? Is everyone Okay. I told her to drive safely as she was taking us to airport and driving like a turd, you know, the, your, your initial human reaction. Right. But then, but then I go back to the way I choose to live my life, which is to choose to not suffer, which is to choose to find the lesson and the blessing, which is to choose to recognize that everything is working out for my greatest good. And then to choose to look around for how this car accident could be or is working out for my greatest and highest good in real time so that I don't have to choose to suffer so that I can choose to make it a positive. And so in that moment, which of course I've used here many times is the fender bender is saving you from the car accident. 
And so in real time in Ireland, as my daughter just wrecked my car and literally put a metal pole and mailbox through the whole back of my car, um, which Brock said, who's 11, sounded like the car was exploding, which you know how glass when it like explodes, it does sound like an explosion. Um, I said to myself, the fender bender saving them from the car accident. In real time, in real time, I was looking at probably a $4,000 car accident and saying, how is this benefiting me in real time so that I can choose not to suffer? Now, do I know for a fact that it was saving them from a car accident? No, I do not know that for a fact. However, I have seen people say these types of things and then they drive down the street and then they see, you know, ambulances or police cars or, you know, the the plumber who was late, which prevented the person from going into work on 9-11. So there are examples of this it like that are obvious. But regardless, I choose to keep my frequency high and not get mad at my daughter and not get upset over this financial situation in real time. So that's having faith in real time. So when I'm looking at the unknown, I understand because of my practice, I really see it as a practice. You know, they say um, it's a yoga practice, meaning you're not going to start yoga and put your foot behind your head. You're not going to start faith and be like, yay, I have cancer. My kids just got in a car accident. This is the greatest day of my life. Like, like it takes a minute. Like, this is truly a practice, you know, like it's, it's, it's cause we're not trained like this. You know, we're not, we're not trained. We're trained from our parents. Like don't walk with a pencil. It's going to go through your eye. Yeah. Don't walk with drinking a, with a glass in your mouth. You're going to trip and fall and the glass is going to be lodged into your brain. Don't do anything because bad things will happen. So, you know, maybe it is very much part of the human programming experience that our parents raise us by way of fear and, you know, all of those types of things. And so, but my mine is always like, you know, even if it's like your child, you know, and but they might not be great at school, like maybe school's not their thing. So maybe that's a steering wheel to become a chef. Or maybe that's a steering wheel to become um, an artist or some other craft. Because I think that when you're told no, hey, no, math is not for you. Hey, no, science is not for you. Hey, no, this career is not for you. It's because the universe and your higher self is calling you into another direction. And so even when you don't get the job, I talked to a lady a couple of weeks ago in an appointment. She's like, I have literally applied for 70 jobs and been told no. And I'm like, well, you have two choices. You could take that as a negative or understand that the universe is super excited about you getting this other job that's just over there waiting for you, you know? And so I think it's in real time, it's about, is the world against me or and is the world a negative and horrible place or is the world a positive and amazing place that's, that's just brimming with opportunity and greatness and I'm either programmed to see the greatness or I'm programmed to see the negativity. Mm -hmm. The nuance in what you're saying, something that's always rattled around in my brain, and maybe you can shed some light and clarity on this piece, because I think sometimes they seem like they can't exist together. So I'd love to know how they do is the idea of things are always working out for me. Everything's happening for my greatest good. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. We have that piece. 
And then we have the other piece, which was the first thing that we talked about is manifesting and you're manifesting everything around you. If you're negative, negative is attracting itself to you. If you're positive, positive is, you know, like you're a magnet and you're, you're uh, magnetizing all these situations to yourself. How, if you're magnetizing, let's say negativity towards yourself, can you also be in your highest and best and exactly where you're supposed to be? Like, how can those two things exist together or can they not? And that's, it's a choice and you have to choose the road. I I honestly feel like it's a choice. Again, thank God we don't manifest immediately because pink elephants, right? It would be awkward to have a pink elephant all of a sudden appear in my room right now. So we do have the, the benefit of not manifesting immediately. So in that moment in Ireland, I get the call. I I get instantly frustrated because my human self panics and gets upset. But then I kind of like adjust the steering wheel and say, you know, no, that's, it's going to, it's working out for my greatest and highest good. And so let's say, let's say I don't take that route. Let's say I get pissed off. Let's say I start yelling at my daughter and saying, you know, what the hell were you doing? You're driving like an idiot. I told you when we were on our way to the airport that this was going to happen. Now, mind you, at the very next table, there were these really different people, right? And so maybe they overhear me. And then they start going, oh, your daughter got in a car accident back home, huh? Yeah, she did. Now she's talking crap about my daughter. Maybe her husband starts saying, yeah, you know, negative, negative, negative. And then Jim starts saying, yeah, Skylar, she doesn't even pay attention. Negative, negative, negative. And now we've got this vortex of negative. And then maybe the waiter's like, God, are you having a bad day? And now we have, so it's growing legs, right? And so then they go back and they start talking negatively about my daughter. And maybe the waiter's like, yeah, their daughter just crashed the car back in the States. And so now- Someone else is talking negatively about my situation and my daughter. So the thing of it is, is now because I didn't go that route, but we all have done this, then you get up and then you get a bad phone call and then you get a bad text or then you walk back to your hotel room and trip and drop your food all over the floor. And then it's like, see, everything's always going wrong. I told you I shouldn't have woken up today. I told you this was going to be a bad day. Right. And so like, It's like when one thing goes bad, then another thing goes bad, then another, like we've seen those days where you're just like, God, I just need to go back to bed, right? But if you nip it in the bud and you're like, you know what? No, this is working out for my greatest and highest good. I'm glad they got in a car accident because, you know, or a fender bender because it prevented them from getting in the car accident. And so, you know, the challenges is when someone comes to me and says, okay, well, what about when my kid got in a car accident and died? Right. We have to have that reality check. Not everybody's kid gets in the fender bender. Some people's kids get in the full blown car accident and don't make it. What do we say to them? And so what I would say to them is, you know, although it is completely and totally horrific and no, I have not lost any children to a car accident or otherwise, very often that situation could be teaching the many people around them. A lot of times I'll see drug overdoses in a family where there's a lot of addicts and there's a one drug overdose and then the other kids get clean. So 
a lot of times, unfortunately or fortunately, but it is what it is, when we do see the end all be all of destruction or quote negativity or a bad situation where someone does lose a loved one, what I would say to them is look around and see how that person's passing has changed the world around them. Because you will see it nine times out of 10. If you decide to look and I, I mean, and trust me, I know I'm speaking from a very scary place because I have four children. And when you talk about this kind of stuff, your feet are being held to the fire, which is, hey, lady, you know, you got kids, too. So this, yeah. this this might come and knocking on your door. And I do understand that. But I I can only speak to what I've been shown. I can only speak to how I see it and the way I feel. I have been, you know, shown that this is how it works out from people that have passed. Mm-hmm. This is information from people that have passed. This is not Meredith's, you know, religion or Meredith deciding that this is what it's like. So when you're talking about being positive and being negative and manifesting, you know, when you look at it and you say, hey, are you magnetizing that? I believe a thousand percent, which is why. It is a practice, which is why you have to work on it, which is why you have to stop yourself and say, am I going to take the human route and be like, yes, he told you everything turns to shit. Or am I going to say, no, it's working out for my greatest and highest good. And I have faith that it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's not easy. We are human. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's definitely a shift. So when you're looking at that and you have that person that's going through the breakdown, like we're talking about, we have this collective breakdown and and you kind of start to spiral and you say everything, you know, nothing's working out for me. This is going terribly. Would you say that it's as simple as taking, just being aware of your thoughts and saying, okay, how can I change my perspective on what is happening? How can I look at this and say, how is this working out for me? how is this piece falling apart actually pointing me in a direction that I need to be going in or things yeah. like that? Yeah. And, and honestly, I've struggled with this the last couple of weeks as we're watching, you know, news come in about the dollar and like hyperinflation possibilities and all of these, you know, things that we're watching, you know, in real time, that are possibilities. And so like, when I look at it, it's almost blind faith in those moments because, you know, now mind you, when I say blind faith, I'm still the same psycho that went out and bought, you know, seven large containers of peanut butter and have them stored in my basement. So you know, there's a difference between blind faith and like, everything's going to work out and my kids can eat air. And like, look, you got to be smart about some stuff and you got to do your best to prepare for a hurricane. You have to be prepared for a tornado. You don't just sit in the middle of a glass greenhouse while a tornado is coming. You, you get the tools that are afforded to you. You go in a ditch, you go in a basement, you you know, go in a room without windows, you'd be smart because you're still living a human experience. But that doesn't mean that your brain and the way you think about things can't see 
the few steps ahead and go, you know, I know that we're having this weird situation with the dollar, but honestly, we've been, been printing money since 19, what, 71 with no gold backing. And we're just keep printing money and printing money and we're going farther into debt and to God knows what. And, and it's, it's not healthy for our country. It's not healthy for society. It's not healthy to have, you know, 99% of the, you know, the citizens of the United States that would be considered struggling financially, like something's got to give, something has to change. And, you know, I speak from experience in such that I have, I know people who are multi-millionaires who have, you know, six houses and, you know, seven cars and have more money than they can ever spend and pay their employees $200 a week for a 40-hour work week after they pay for their $10,000 insurance deductible. You know, like this isn't working. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense that people should have to work 80, 90, 100 hours a week and not be able to take care of their kids or put food on the table. And, you know, you see this, this time and time again, this, this, it's not working. It's not sustainable. And what we're seeing is the fact that it isn't sustainable. And so when something is not sustainable, there's an imbalance. It's like when you do something and you get exhausted or when you go to a job and you don't like it, or when you're in a relationship and you get anxiety and depression, those are signs and symptoms of imbalance. So what we're seeing right now are the signs and symptoms of an unhealthy economy, of imbalance, of things that cannot be sustained. And so is it fun? No, but maybe it would be fun if I were making $14,000 a year with two kids and I'm going, yeah, something's got to give. This is bullshit. Like, like they, I hope that this breaks down, but the people at the top, the people with microphones, the people that don't want any of this to change, those are the people that are making ends meet. You know, those are people that are not having a problem. Those are people that are affording to take care of their children. And, you know, from a selfish perspective, do I want to see any of this change? No, because I'm making ends meet. I financially am doing a-okay. So do I want to see the breakdown? Hell no. Give me my bank account, give me my stocks, give me my portfolio, because I can afford to continue on this way. Or can I? Mm -hmm. Like, right. when's my breakdown coming? When when are they going to start taking from me? Right. And so we are definitely seeing a huge shift. But for myself, I just keep telling myself, you know, whatever is supposed to come, even with COVID, like in the beginning of COVID, if you look at that and it's just like, oh my gosh, we're on lockdown. And at first it was cute and everyone's canning fruit and, you know, learning how to, you know, do different crafts. And then it's like, okay, this isn't fun anymore, but think how much we have learned from COVID, right? Like, you know, people moved out of the cities, people are working from home, people aren't flying all over the country to go to business meetings when they can just jump on a Zoom call. So there's less airplanes, there's less traffic, there's less, you know, there's a lot of benefits that came down from the breakdown of COVID. And I think that that's what we are going to see um, moving forward in the financial system and in the political system is we're going to move away from a two-party system. We're going to move away from these big packs. And, you know, I, I mean, politics is just another business, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that we're about to see that business start to have a huge breakdown 
because we've relied on them. I think it's going to be by the people um, moving forward, just because we believe it's by the people for the people now. And it's absolutely not. It's it's by the corporations. It's by BlackRock. Rock, you know, it's by these big, huge conglomerates that own everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that all because I'm reflecting on last night, I was at a, a friend's house who is extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy, top, top, you know, 0.1% probably. Mm-hmm. And they were having a fundraiser for their foundation. And we were there. And what they did was they had nine people come up and speak uh, that are from different parts of their their foundation that, that work in, in different nonprofits around the globe. And the stories that each of these leaders told were so incredibly moving and heartbreaking, but also inspiring at the same time because they're taking action. I mean, I'm talking, you know, people that live on less than a dollar a day that don't have food or shelter that are getting abused and trafficked and real life situations of, you know, hearing somebody's first name and hearing their story. And over and over again, you know, to the, you know, the earthquake where aid was not allowed to be sent in. I mean, just, I can't even paint the picture of how deeply saddened I was to hear these stories. Now, that's with purpose. The reason that the the probably 50 people that were sitting in that room were there um, and the 50 people sitting in that room extremely wealthy, you know, totally, totally different ball game. The reason they were sitting in there was to, to hear these stories so that their, their sadness, their grief, their, they're moved by their, their emotions to write checks out, you know, to, to give to these people who need it. And I think, you know, talking about the breakdown before the breakthrough and talking about, emotions as your guide and why you have to go through these sort of cycles in order to have change to me that really highlights all of that and i guess when i start to think about this you know we talked about anger a couple of podcasts ago and we talked about how anger moves you but also how anger is an outside layer emotion of an inside layer of typically sadness grief all of those other pieces yeah so what that brings me to the question of what is the purpose of sadness as a human? What is the purpose of grief? I think it's such a hard emotion for people to process, to feel, and all we want to do is get out of it. And I think it's just, it's very difficult for a lot of people. So I would, I would love to hear your perspective. Yeah. I did a video on this and talked about the grief. So grief lives in the lungs um, when you when you talk about the emotion grief, you're referencing lungs. So pneumonias and bronchitis and asthma, things of that nature. And so if you have if you struggle with these situations, I would look into the the emotion of grief. But to, when I made the video, I was talking about that, like when my grandmother died, I allowed myself to grieve, but then I didn't sit inside of grief and one of the commenters was you clearly never lost a child um, and you're out there spewing this, you know, garbage basically, which I get, you know, like if I lost a child, I don't know how I would react as far as grieving. But if you're talking about grieving things 
the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a situation, a loss of a house and tornado. Again, I always try to compartmentalize and allow myself my human experience, but not to wallow in it, not to suffer inside of it where it takes me over. I think that it's really important when it comes to emotions like sadness that we do allow ourselves to experience it because so often, like you said, and especially in American culture, we just want to stuff it down and make it go away. Take a pill, ignore it, eat, drink, take drugs, whatever it is to kind of move around the issue instead of going through the issue, which, you know, as we've very often learned about, you know, is that there's no escaping it. You can take, you can take your antidepressants for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, if this was a situational depression versus a clinical depression, it will rear its head at the end of those 10 years when you get off of your antidepressant. And now you're going to have to be forced to deal with it because it's situational. But I think that emotions are our steering wheels to let us know where we are on the planet. I feel like earth is a playground of emotions. It's a playground of very dense emotions and dense, heavy experiences to let us fully awaken and learn and be a part of learning in a very tactile, visceral way that you cannot experience as a spirit on any other planet in in quite the same way. So when sorrow or grief happened, which, you know, even so you were sitting in that room last night and you're watching this presentation and then you may have been dealing with sorrow this morning. Your body might have been dealing with something or been affected by by proxy of watching or listening to these stories that affected your brain and body as if you had actually gone through them or as actually if you experienced those things that were sad or sorrow filled. And so, you know, that's the thing is when I do emotional release with clients, very many times people are affected or have emotions attached to them or they have trapped emotions that are in their physical body that they got by way of absorption or they've inherited or they saw their mom crying because of something and they felt that same feelings of grief, even though they did not go through that grief. And so, you know, I am not a fan of breast cancer walks. I think it's a bad idea. If you want to give money to breast cancer, if whatever, but when you advertise these situations, I think we need to have money that just goes to this stuff without having to advertise illness. They're doing some toe-in research right now that a lot of teenagers are starting to get like ticks, Tourette ticks from social media. And this goes back to a lot of the work that I do which goes back to the molecules of emotions and Dr. Sarno's healing back pain, where the brain picks up physical ailments based on, I think we did a, I think we did a podcast on this. The brain picks up physical ailments from societally acceptable situations. So society right now is accepting. If you look at uh, what's her name, Um, Billie Eilish, she now talks about having Tourette's. If uh, that one kid, uh, he just did a, a special on Netflix. 
God, I can't think of his name. I just watched the whole special, but he has ticks. And so societally, and maybe we're just becoming privy to it. I don't know. Tourette's and ticks are becoming normalized and is becoming a thing, just like in the 80s, it was again, or the 90s, it was ulcers. And then a couple of years ago, it was plantar fasciitis and um, rheumatoid arthritis. Like they're showing sign, they're showing that this stuff is coming from our brains. And so when we're, these kids are watching all these people have ticks, the brain is picking this up in the subconscious as an expression of emotion, a distraction from emotion, a distraction from pain, a distraction, a release of pain, a release of depression, a release of anxiety. And so the brain, it's just fascinating the way that the brain picks this crap up and doesn't want to deal with it, doesn't want to process it, is using these outside physical kind of ailments to try to work through difficult emotions. And so back to what you're saying is, is like, why do we have these things? I believe that grief, depression, anxiety, anger, frustration, all of these horrible things that we feel as human beings are steering wheels to change. And a lot of people are like, well, I didn't choose to be born um, with clinical depression. And I would say, yeah, I, I understand that. But is there anything in your immediate surroundings that is propelling it, perpetuating it? You know, if if my husband comes home and is negative every day and I start to feel depression and then I go see a therapist and they're like, you know, we've talked about this ad nausea, maybe you should try some antidepressants. Is it my brain or is it my husband who comes home like an asshole every day that I just don't want to get a divorce? You know, is it, or is it my job that I'm working where I'm not appreciated and I'm paid too little and there's an imbalance? And so I start to get depressed. And so I, I believe, I truly believe that 95% of these negative emotions and illnesses can be a signal that there is a change needed in that person's life that they are not moving on. I really mm -hmm. do believe that. And I know people will probably fight me on it, but I know for myself, you know, in the, in the past when I've had to take quote unquote, had to take medication based on uh, suggestions by others, if I would have just made the change in my life, I would not have needed the medication. Now I'm, I'm only speaking for myself and some people that I've seen on this planet, but the majority of people, they need to make a change in their life that they're not willing to make at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That goes back to the, the last podcast we did about the mind body connection, which I think is, was a really, really powerful one that listen to that if you haven't. So the breakdown to the breakthrough, I guess any tangible tips that our listeners can take away and say, okay, I'm, I'm in, in the thick of it right now, whether that's globally or personally, which I think typically, <laughs> typically what is globally, it's also personally, at least micro, macro, micro, macro yeah. all the time. What, you know, that's, it's crazy. What can we do? What, how can we think about things differently? What are some actionable items that people can take to really just keep themselves as healthfully moving through this as, as they possibly can? 
So it's been said that the imagination is more powerful than reality, right? And the way that your perspective is on things, my perspective on my breast cancer was a positive one. So I had a positive breast cancer experience. Somebody might have the exact same breast cancer and have a very negative experience. And so their experience of going through breast cancer would be profoundly negative. Was every part of my breast cancer experience positive? No. Do I decide to make it that way in my head? Yes. Why? Because it benefits me. It benefits me to pretend or to perspective or to look at my experience as a positive one. It benefits me. It benefits my family. It benefits my husband. It benefits my body. It benefits everything about my life to choose to see everything as a positive. So let's say, for example, uh, this afternoon, there is a, you know, I don't even know, a tornado that comes in and takes my whole house today. Okay. And I'm like, God, I really like this shit in my house. Like, I love my green chairs and I like my chandelier. But then if I decide like, okay, my house has just been taken today by a tornado, what positive can come through this? Like, I look at it and go, keep asking yourself, what can I be learning in this that is going to better my life? How can I look at this and find something freaking positive from this experience that's going to change my life forever? Nothing that comes in is ever not positivable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've coined that. It's it's not positivable. You know, and someone even might say, well, my my son just died of a drug overdose. And I would say, what good can come from that? Although it's horrible, although you hate everybody, although you're so pissed off, although this is the worst thing that's ever happened, what positive can come from this. And if you focus on that, I promise you today will be better. Tomorrow will be better. And if today and tomorrow are better, the next day will be better. And the next day after that might be a little bit tougher. But if you go back and you go, no, I am choosing, you know, it's kind of like the rose colored glasses. It's fake it till you make it. It's smile therapy. It's choosing to believe that it's always working out for your greatest and highest good. I don't give a shit what anyone says. Choosing to believe what I believe, which is everything is working out to my greatest and highest good, is going to have a better life experience than the world is against me. I'm always suffering and everyone's out to get me. Mm -hmm. I think a nuance to that too, what I'm thinking of is the rose-colored glasses piece is also not to have complacency though within that. So it's not like, like you said, it's not like you're going to go hang out in a greenhouse and you know, the tornado's coming, right? Like have common sense, make, take actionable movements towards, you know, bettering your situation, your mindset, whatever it is, but you can be positive and still make a change. You don't just have to, you know, it's not like you're just going to sit there and then the world around you is going to suddenly, you know, make that hard decision for you, you still have to take the action. Yeah. And you know, I'm personally working on. <laughs> right. And if the action is, is like fear, take a pause. Like if my action on the phone while I was in Ireland to Skylar would have been like, you're an idiot. How could you do this? You're so stupid. Right. If, if my choice when that car accident bender bender happened would be to ball up negativity and throw it at someone or sit inside of the negative, you're better off neutralizing. You're better off going, you know what? I'm not in a great headspace to go 
to this interview today. I'm not in a great headspace to go look at this house today. I'm not in a great headspace to go do X, Y, Z. Get yourself at least to neutral so that you're not carrying in a bag of shit. You know, like I think that that's really important is that, you know, you do have to show up, but you also have to choose how you're about to show up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like step one, step two, step one, figure out how to get yourself in at least a neutral headspace. Mm-hmm. Step two, then take action. If you do it the other way around, you're not going to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. I firmly believe if, you that. At, if you look at the wealthiest people on the planet, the majority of them don't touch their phone first thing in the morning. They never watch the news and they practice mindfulness. They'll get up, they'll have their, you know, tea, they'll do breath work, they'll do meditations, they'll do an exercise. Like they understand if you look at the wealthiest, most successful people on our planet, they understand beyond a shadow of a doubt how important the way their brain absorbs and the world is. They know that their mind is the most important catalyst to their success and to their health. And to go read the books of the wealthiest, most successful people on our planet, and they're all going to tell you the way that you think about your world is the most important thing because that is what attracts the rest of your life to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, like if you have a shitty marriage, run today, call a divorce attorney and get out of it. If you're in an abusive relationship where you are miserable day in and day out, get out. You know, but that's why it goes. (laughs) They just said, but that's why we have so many churches and alcohol billboards in underserved neighborhoods, because we want to perpetuate the negative thought process because we need people to be poor. We need people to do blue collar jobs. We need people to go pick up trash. And I'm not saying that those jobs are less than, but the way our society is built, the way that our capitalist society is planned out is such that it is very important that the majority of the population does not believe in themselves, that the majority of the population does not believe that the world is working out for the greatest and highest good. They want everybody in church on their knees begging for salvation and then to go home and eat canned food and boxed carbohydrates and, you know, finish off a fifth of uh, uh, whiskey that it benefits the elites. And so if people listen to podcasts like this and realize that they actually can get out of the capitalist wheel, which is where we're heading, I'm not saying capitalism is going to go away, but it's going to shift profoundly. We need people to be broke. We need people to feel like shit about themselves and feel like terrible sinners. We need people to stay inside of the mindset of alcohol and drugs and, you know, negativity. If people, if everyone listened to this podcast and changed the way that they thought, the world would be a very, very different place because they would know that they don't need to go to a church to feel good 24 seven, that they were saved this morning just because they took their first breath, that there's nothing that they can do or need to do for salvation. But the capitalist world that doesn't benefit them. So 
That's why underserved neighborhoods look the way that they do. You know, food deserts, alcohol, bodegas, and lots of churches. Mm-hmm. I think the main message I'm getting from you is to, and again, I think this might even be your first podcast, is just don't look outside of yourself. Figure out how to change your mindset, change your perspective first, then take action. And then the world around you will change one step at a time. And just don't give up. Just, it's a practice. Like you said, don't give up. It's a practice every day. You fall off the horse. We all fall off the horse, you know, get back on, just keep going back to yourself and believing that, believing that you have everything you need inside of you. Yeah, I think for whatever reason, I'm always these little things stick in my head, you know, and you if you look at uh, these kids that come from like an underserved neighborhood and end up going to like, you know, Harvard Law School, right? They were not looking to the outside world for their self-worth. They were not looking to their outside underserved neighborhood, maybe single mom working six jobs and all their friends are dealing drugs or, you know, having a rough go of life, maybe dropping out of school. They were only looking inside themselves. The whole world was against them. The whole world was telling them their whole world, their whole experience was telling them, you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to be a drug dealer. You're, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you'll play basketball for the NBA. You're, you know, your mom's never home to take you. They, they don't care. They went inside of self and said, no, I'm good enough. This is the life that I want. And if you look at a kid from a very wealthy neighborhood who becomes a drug dealer or, you know, does nothing with their life, they look at the world and go, you know, it's my mom's fault that I'm like this. My dad never paid attention to me. My teachers were mean, you know, whatever it is. They use the whole world as an excuse as to why they aren't successful. But that kid from the other underserved neighborhood, he looks and goes, I'm not going to look at any reason as to why I'm not going to have a good life. I'm going to rely on me. And if more people understood that it's all about you and to get super selfish and don't look at what the world has to say about, you know, anything, just go inside of yourself and ask yourself, what do I feel about this? How do I feel about myself? What do I want for my life? With no excuses as to my parents or to society, or even, you know, like I said, maybe your kid's not the smartest kid in the world and doesn't have a, you know, 34 on their ACTs, but they're really, really freaking good at 300 other things. Society would tell you that your kid's a loser. Don't listen. Society is built to sustain society. And the only way to sustain society is to make sure that 99% of the population are worker bees. And how do we do that? By making them believe that they are, they are a victim to society. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all self-perpetuating, but you have to decide, you know, this isn't working for me. I'm going to listen. So happiness comes from within, period. Self-worth comes from within, Don't look at the world around you to assess who and where you are. People think you're nuts. What do you mean you're happy that you have breast cancer? Yeah, I learned to ask for help. It's a good thing. I learned to stop waiting for my husband to retire to go on trips. It's a good thing. I stopped waiting. It's a good thing. Well, you're nuts. Great. I'm nuts. I don't give a shit. (laughs) 
working for me. I'm I'm nuts all the way to the bank. I'm nuts all the way to, you know, charging what I charge for an appointment. I'm nuts all the way to happiness. I'm go okay with that. Be nuts. Mm-hmm. Better than looking at, at the world and going, well, this is the way that it is. And I'm sane. Yeah. Keep okay. your hands on the steering wheel. Exactly. Good stuff. This was fun. It was fun. I hope everybody could take away some actionable pieces and some perspective shifts that can help get you through anything you might be going through or just have a more peaceful perspective on this wild shifting world that we are in. Yeah. I think the next time we should definitely talk about education. I know a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we would be talking about education and how it's going to be changing. But I think that this is a great jump off point to take some notes and be like, all right, what about education? Because, you know, as I'm thinking about the underserved child or the person from the very wealthy community and and how society really benefits from from keeping the the 99% and the 1% in its place. I think that as we're watching the education system change and I think we're going what we're going to see in the very near future is it people are going to start pulling their kids out of schools left and right and what they're showing me is that these mass shootings are actually a catalyst to that. So um, I think next week we should definitely talk about the education system and where we think it's going and, you know, any messages and I'll kind of be tapping into up there to see what they have to offer us. But let's talk about that next week. Yes, let's do it. That's a near and dear to my heart subject. So I look forward to that. Absolutely. And I think we'll be able to shed a lot of light on that. So fun. Well, thank you so much for being here again, Allison. You are like, you are my muse. Wow, you are my muse. My goodness. Thank you. I love it. All right. Well, have a great week, everybody. And I'll see you back here next week with Allison talking about education. Thanks, hon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind-the-scenes footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers.